DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone, and it's time to talk basketball with Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, jazz fans are of a couple minds, Steve. There's one that says, nine in a row, 13 out of 14. Clarkson is exactly what the bench needed. These guys could do anything now. And there's another group that's like, the opponents haven't been that good. They're just setting us up to break our heart in the spring. Which group's more likely right? (laughs) Uh, I think you got to look at this from a very optimistic point of view. First of all, you know, your your leading scorer steps away and – I know they're not playing a great team in the Wizards, but they're on the road and uh, they're down 15 and these guys find a way to win. I I think that's uh, an indication that this team is really together, playing with a great deal of confidence. And uh, so, I I mean, if if you're a Jazz fan, uh, you've got to be feeling really good about what's happening. Hey, the reality is, yeah, there, there, there are tough days ahead and tough games ahead, but the more confidence you acquire, the more connected you are together, uh, those things lend themselves to being more prepared for those big games to, you know, to get get into the not only get into the playoffs but to to win a series or two and find yourself in uh, the Western Finals. I mean, that's what you have to be dreaming about and believing in. And uh, the more the more they win, and the more they're together, and the more they kind of overcome adversity in games like they had uh, the other night, uh, that that hoop starts looking like it's about five foot wide. See, I view, <clears throat> I view road games in the NBA exactly the way I viewed road games, in, conference road games in college basketball. They're hard to come by, and it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, who's playing, who's not, what team you're playing. You look at last week, Utah State against Air Force. Now, you've been over to Clune Arena, as have I, many, many times over. It's a funky place to play, and sure enough, uh, Air Force goes on a late run in the second, first half, and then they carried over in the second half, and the Aggies had all these expectations, and they lose that ball game. It was their third loss in a row, blah, blah, blah. So to me, NBA road games, you get them, you get as many as you possibly can, and you're grateful for each and every one of them. It's the same thing, same principle for conference road games in college basketball. They, they they are very similar and they are very difficult. People have no idea because teams, even with teams with very poor records, everybody's capable. Even even mediocre college teams on a given night can can do special things and they're playing at home with their fan base and they get the energy and all of a sudden they start making baskets. I mean, I remember some of my experiences at Air Force. I, I had some of the worst experiences of my life and I had a couple of wins there that had played a huge role in winning a couple of conference championships. So, it is a very difficult place to play. And when we were playing Air Force, they were going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, yeah. there was uh, it was just a really, really solid program, and it, but it was always hard to play there. And I think in the NBA, I think what people don't realize, they, they see a team, what, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's the Wizards or Oklahoma City or wh- whatever it might be, they've all got professional players on their teams. They, they all got drafted. They were great collegiate players. And I think because we look at a record and see them not doing well, that they're not capable of winning at home, and it's just going to be an easy thing for us. But the fact is, every team in the NBA, even the very worst of them, on a given night can beat anybody. And we've seen that actually happen several times. 
and you, we were always scratching our heads and how did that happen? Well, it happened number one because your mindset wasn't right. You didn't execute. You didn't do this or do that. And that team was fired up to play it. And you put that's the formula for disaster on the road is that if you don't come with that mindset and that toughness and and be connected, uh, it's hard to win. But those are the most satisfying experiences that I had as a coach in high school, junior college, and at the Division One level was winning on the road. That brings teams more together than anything else. So this whole question of how good are the Jazz going to be when they play the best teams in the postseason, I was thinking of all the encouraging things that happened in the win over the Wizards. Maybe Bogdanovich knowing Mitchell's out, I'm the guy most likely to go for 30, we need offense, I better come out really aggressive and get going and get to 30. And he did, and I'm wondering if that can play, pay off in the postseason. That no one, I have to do it right now. This is the moment. I mean, it's the Wizards on the road, so it's not the same as playing the Lakers and Clippers in the pe- in the playoffs. But do you draw any line between the two? Oh yeah, I, I absolutely do because I think the more success that you have breeds more success, and we uh, we underestimate the power of the mind. And, and the confidence factor that comes from repetition, repetition. And, you know, you can get one thing to be in a gym by yourself shooting threes. It's another thing to be doing it when it's contested and there's pressure and there's those circumstances. And once you start doing that, there, there is no doubt. You're not, there's, you're, you're, that trigger is just, it's released smoothly. It's, it's the same every time. And because when guys get nervous or when anxiety sits in or, the doubt sits in, or they've had had games where they haven't made baskets. All of that plays a factor. It doesn't mean they don't have a great jump shot, but the, the mental part of this game is, is huge. And the more experiences you have with success, the more your mind expects that and realizes that, and you you just get in a in a different place. You're in a moment of time that you feel really comfortable. It's people talk about you know being in the moment. That that's not just a little catchy, you know, catchphrase that everybody likes to use on TV or radio. I mean, being in the moment means that I've done this before, not only a million times in practice, but I did this in games, and I can do this again here. And that kind of confidence, with an understanding of the system you're playing within, understanding that the guys that are connected and that is it in it is in the confines of what we're doing offensively, then that that's a formula for for success. And so you cannot underestimate winning, what it does for, for players. Now, the, the fact is it is true. They're not playing the Lakers and the Clippers right now, but they will. And they'll be more prepared to play those teams and be more confident when that day and time comes. And we, listen, we've seen really good teams go on the road and get beat by inferior teams. It happens all the time. And, you, and what does everybody say? Well, they just, we just weren't ready mentally. We weren't right where we needed to be. And nothing to away. We didn't have enough talent, or we didn't have good enough players. It, this mental preparation for the road and at home, and how you uh, keep all of the you know all the distractions away, and, and that's hard because they have families, they have friends, they have a lot of you know these are these are real people with real things going on in their lives, and there's tragedy and challenges. But when you can kind of just get there in that moment when you're playing, and put all that other stuff aside. Uh, then when you get into the big moments, you're not you're just more confident. You're not you're not afraid of those big moments. You want those. You 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 embrace those big moments, and that's how you win big time series and playoffs. And and 
Utah Jazz are on the cusp of that. They're, they're going to go through this. I mean, you start looking at their schedule and, uh, you know, they, they can go on the road and get beat by the Nets. You know, Irving's back. Uh, they could have got, they could get, you know, Dinwiddie, you never know when he's going to go off. The Pelicans are a streaky team. The Kings are capable. Now, you know, the nice thing is that they go in there, and I don't know, if, I don't know what Donovan Mitchell's status is if he's not going to be playing these next couple of games on the road. That makes it certainly more difficult. But, uh, they're still in a situation when you look at it. Five games, I mean, the Nets, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Pacers, the Warriors, those are all winnable games, even if they're not at the top of their game. So uh, that puts them in a real interesting position. And we talked about this last week where, you know, they, they could have 30 wins here in, in another week or two uh, going through the schedule. So best thing they've done, they've taken care of business, which is what they were supposed to do. And then, and then certainly the, the schedule will ratchet up a little bit here as, as we move on in the coming weeks. One of the real treats for me as we watch every Jazz game and obsess over it and watch all the college games, obviously, it's part of our job. And one of the treats for me is watching guys come down the lane and looking up and seeing Rudy Gobert there and thinking, nope, I'm backing out, I'm <laughs> passing, I'm dribbling through and whatnot. I mean, really, is it's become fun and entertaining for me. And to see fools try to challenge him, you're not going to succeed uh, maybe once or twice, particularly if you're not his same or close to his size. you got, like, no chance. So I'm wondering, to, in my mind now, this is the halfway point of the season, I think – Gobert should be a legitimate MVP candidate. I just don't know that he's going to get any run for it, but I got to believe the coaches, the ones who really follow the game, understand and media folks who really, really follow it understand what his impact is, and he should be an MVP candidate. Well, here's the thing, and I can't speak for people who are voting and who do those things, but it seems from just watching this over the years that they're they're looking for either prolific scorers and guys that, you know, have, can do both. So, you know, you, you, you look at, you know, you take James Harden. Here's a guy that has won MVPs uh, predominantly for his ability to score and create. It, it wasn't about offense and defense. You know, Russell Westbrook, who was in the MVP category and was an MVP, you know, he was doing three things. He was scoring. He was, you know, he was assisting. He was he was dishing out all sorts of assists. He was rebounding the basketball, triple doubles. Uh, you know, you, if you look at LeBron and you look at Steph Curry, those are all pretty complete players. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, I can't speak for people I don't know, but it seems like if you're just more in, and, and Rudy for a long time has just been considered maybe kind of more of a one-dimensional guy. He's a rebounder. He, he's a rim protector. Can he score? Can he do other things? But but you're right when you look at it in the context of. What is he doing for his team? And, and it's an important thing. I mean, it, it's hard to be – I mean, you know, they're, they're talking about Dockage as, as, as an MVP candidate, you know, and, and we don't know how the, Jet, how the Dallas Mavericks are going to all play out. But, it, but at the end of the day, uh, the, what you're doing to help your team and where your team is at, and if you're there in second place and the, you finish second in, in the Western Conference and – He's going for 15 or 16 and 18 or 19 rebounds a game. Yeah, he is in the MVP. But I think where this team ends up and, and the success that this team will have, I think for voters, for guys that are looking at this game from the outside, they're going to go, what's making this team click? What's, what's so valuable about a team that's now second in second place in the West, the tough Western division? 
it's it's Rudy Gobert. Well, we can talk about Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell, but when you can protect the rim like he does, and and, and have that kind of presence without him, they they're not the same team. And no matter how many baskets they make, so uh, it's in the context that you have to look at it in terms of for Rudy to be in that conversation, this team is going to have to be really elite because they're not gonna, they're going to look at the whole pack and say, well, he's only averaging you know, 14 or 15 points a game. He's not a great shooter. You know, he doesn't shoot the three. Whatever their excuses would be for not voting for him. But if this team continues to do what they do and he continues to have that presence, then I, then, then I think he, he's part of that narrative. He's part of that conversation as an MVP candidate. Obviously, he's, he's really, really valuable to the Utah Jazz and what they're doing. No Yoli Childs, and BYU loses to St. Mary's in overtime. If they have no Yoli at Gonzaga, what are you thinking about the Cougars' NCAA tournament hopes? Uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that BYU is, you know, I mean, hey, they're, they're going to believe they can go anywhere and win, and, and this team is together, and they're, they're tough guys, and, and they compete. Uh, I would think it would be really difficult to go to Gonzaga and win at Gonzaga without Yoli. Uh, just the sheer numbers, uh, and, and I, I think Gonzaga obviously is really good. I've watched them just a little bit, so uh, at, at times, and, and, and when Tilly's scoring, they, they seem to be better. But I, I think it'll be a really t- challenging game for BYU there without Yoli because he, he's a big part of it. And mind you, they played without him ten times and had a lot of success, but they, they haven't played a they haven't played anybody like Gonzaga. And uh, but you had to. You had to watch that game against St. Mary's and know that they, you know, that that team really stayed in that game. And, and you know how St. Mary's is; it's just such a grind playing them. And then they, you know, St. Mary's never kind of overcomes uh, that loss and ends up losing to a Santa Clara team, which is a good team but not a great team. And so, there, you got to be ready on the road. And uh, I, I think. BYU will take care of people at home. I think they just play well, and I think teams in this league that come into BYU just don't seem to be themselves. I think the, I think the the depth perception of the arena and a lot of those kinds of things really lends itself. It, it was that way when I was there. People, most people don't come into that building and play well, and it's it's a tough place to win. But uh, certainly BYU left themselves in a position. I mean, all the all the numbers point to them being in the tournament. I don't think a loss at Gonzaga is going to diminish where they are in terms of being an NC2A tournament. Uh, the, what would hurt their NC2A chances is not losing to Gonzaga. It would be going to UOP or going to Pepperdine, scary places for teams to go that have athletes and have the ability to score uh, with the ball. So that, that's what will stop BYU. That, that, that's what will be, will be the roadblock for them is going places where they're expected to win and should win because – their uh, their resume right now is really really strong to be in the tournament, and uh, they they got control of that. They they win the games they're supposed to win, finishing the top two in the WCC. They're going to the NC2A tournament. Steve, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. All right, there's Steve Cleveland. More about Seton than going to the tournament. Got a strong resume for the Cougars. Yeah, yeah. I think as we spoke with Andy Katz. 
the other day. I think the thing that needs to happen is just hold the fort down, so to speak, until Yoli comes back and then have some nice wins down the stretch. And the committee's got to take into account that the man has just been, he was suspended and then injured. And so with that in mind, is this an NCAA tournament team when they have their guys? The answer is yes. And so put them in. Coming up next, Adam Amin. ESPN play-by-play broadcaster, part of tonight's megacast for the college football play of a national title game. He will join us next to talk LSU and Clemson. Stay with us. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Jazz win for the ninth game in a row. They come from 15 down in the third quarter and beat the Wizards 127 to 116. 31 points for Bogdanovich. Gobert adds 21 and 14. Jordan Clarkson 23 points off the bench and Joe Ingles had 20 points and nine assists. Jazz are off today. They play the Nets in Brooklyn tomorrow at 5:30 on AT&T Sportsnet. Listen to the game here on the Jazz Sports Network. Nets beat the Hawks 108-86. Kyrie Irving returned from injury to score 21 in Brooklyn's win. He'd been out since November 11th with a shoulder injury. Nuggets beat the Clippers 114-104. Nuggets and Jazz tied for second in the West, a half game in front of the Clippers and the Rockets. Utah Utes get blown out of Colorado 91-52. LSU and Clemson for the national title tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN's Family of Networks. Top of the wire brought to you by Homie. Buying or selling a home? Homie will give you up to $5,000 back to help you with closing costs and fees. Remember, it's simple to get started with Homie. See more at homie.com. Big Show. Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Are you ready? You guys ready? Sam Amick from The Athletic. I'm starting to believe that this could be real. I'm not saying they're going to win an NBA championship or anything, but I think they've got a chance to contend at least. They do. More than most recent years, this is a landscape where you can feel that way. Still a ton of focus on the two L.A. teams. Beyond that, though, we don't know what to think of Houston, Denver, but if you want to talk about stability, longevity, chemistry, coaching, Utah is right there. I didn't think this type of a turnaround was going to happen three weeks ago when we were talking here we are. Turn this up. Catch the Big Show, presented by Mountain America Credit Union. Afternoons from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk college football with Adam Amin, ESPN play-by-play broadcaster, part of the mega cast of the college football national title game. Adam, good morning. Oh, it's a good, it is a good morning, my friends. This is the best, one of the best days of the year. <laughs> before, we, uh, before we get down to the game, I, I want to talk to you uh, big picture about a few of the issues in college football. And one, okay. uh, you know, it's the national title game's got – when the national title game has two undefeated teams, there isn't much to complain about. But I do think there's a big chunk of the country that says – you know, it's not 130 teams chasing playoff berths. It's the Power Five chasing mm-hmm. playoff berths. But the fact is, inside the Power Fives, it might only be six, eight, or ten teams chasing playoff berths. You know, the whole Big 12 isn't chasing it, but Oklahoma is. Maybe Texas and Baylor are. Is that wearing everybody out? What do you hear when you travel the country calling games? You know, I think it, it's, it's starting to wear people out because... This structure, you know, uh, which has been in place now for, what is this, sixth year of the format, 
we didn't really worry about that before, right? Because you weren't necessarily pursuing something that was a little bit more uniform before. You know, before it was, you're almost just kind of competing against your own schedule uh, in a sense. So like, all right, let's see, if we go 12-0, and we've got a shot to at least be in consideration to be the number one team in the country. Then the BCS era comes around and goes, all right, well, kind of the same deal the computers are going to decide it a little bit now, but if we're in the if we're in contention, if we're twelve and zero, we're eleven and zero going into that last week, or you know going into the conference championship game in the Mountain West or in the Sun Belt, if we've had a perfect year, we certainly have a shot to be in a in a conversation. Maybe not the conversation, but in a conversation. I'm thinking about Boise State. Uh, maybe what was it, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when they or uh, uh, twenty ten when they had that run. Uh, where they were unbeaten, they had that you know the fateful Kyle Bratzman game against Nevada. I'm thinking about that example. Now that you've placed a structure like this, that is attempting to be uniform, but in my opinion has a fatal flaw in that there's no equity in it. So it's impossible to be a uniform system when not everybody seemingly gets a fair chance to be in the conversation. Then I think, yeah, but I think people are going to get worn down by it. I think people are going to get a little annoyed by it or frustrated with it or whatever. Uh, I, I think that's a fair assessment. At least that's been my estimation. Maybe it's just confirmation bias because I am talking about it in that sense with people. But I, I do seem to hear that, especially covering group of five games. You know, you go to Temple and Cincinnati. You go to these American conference teams that have had great years. They're undefeated. And they never really get brought into the conversation about the national championship. The UCF run. Uh, for a couple of seasons where they were unbeaten and nobody was really talking about them in that conversation. And, and the question sometimes looms until we see a certain uh, level of expansion, will we ever even be able to have those conversations? Yeah, the scheduling thing is a real interesting phenomenon because you look at Oregon, they chose to play uh, a big school and they lose in the beginning and then they run the table except for one game in the conference in the Pac-12. And since the Pac-12 has gone from 10 to 12, there literally has been no team to go 9-0. and There's been a few who have gone 8-1. and And so Oregon gets upset by the Sun Devils in the next to the last weeks uh, of the season and they're out. So it begs the question, why play a powerful SEC program early, why not just play Chico State and then go through, and if you only had one loss, most likely you would have gotten the bid, I don't know, but most likely maybe you would have gotten the bid against ahead of Oklahoma and been in the 14 playoff. So it, you, you start to wonder, for some of these schools, what's the incentive to beef up your non-conference schedule? And I think consumers like myself who love college football, without these big games in September, it kind of is a little bit empty. I would agree. I mean, listen, look at Oregon's schedule next year. They're playing North Dakota State, which is not a joke of a game. That is a scary game to put on your schedule. They're playing Ohio State. I think they're playing Hawaii which is not an easy game to play. You know, I, I know I'm not sure what Hawaii is going to look like without their quarterback next year, but you know, that's, that's a different conversation. There is, I think there, you can certainly make a case for both. You can say, well, why do we even bother? Why do we even bother scheduling the way we do? Baylor has been criticized in, in years past with, but by not having a significant non-conference portion of their schedule. Maybe that's what kept them out in the initial playoff in 2014. Maybe you, could, maybe you can make an argument, and that's why Ohio State got in. Um, you know, Ohio State lost the game, I, if I'm not mistaken, to Virginia Tech that year early and then rattled off 
uh, a great run. I think they they won out the rest of their schedule and obviously went to the national championship game and, and beat Oregon. But I, I think you can make a case for both sides. And when you can do that, again, I, I think the question about uniformity still stands. I think when you're not when, – when you want to be a uniform product with a uniform structure and the equity of that isn't necessarily applicable to teams across the board in multiple conferences that have completely different non-conference schedules that oftentimes, as you, you accurately mentioned, man, like some conferences play nine games, some play eight. Like – yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if you can force uniformity in a structure that doesn't necessarily have the, the, I think, the architecture for it right now. And again, what's the best solution? I don't know. I, I, I've been a proponent of if you're going to make Power Five conferences already be elevated, fine. But let's just make, let's make conference championships valuable again. Heck, if you, if you ask me about it, I'd do away with conference championship games. And I would say let's just play out the regular season, play out the schedule that you have, the best team at the end of it wins the not wins the conference title and gets an automatic bid to a playoff and replace the first conference championship game weekend with the first round of the playoffs and making an eight team playoff. Or heck, if you're going that far, you might as well say, Hey, why don't why can't we figure out a structure to make it sixteen? And I understand at this level people don't want to necessarily put these athletes in that in that spot, but I've been hearing a lot of excuses and I think at some point, if there's money on the line to be made, somebody's going to say yes to this structure. The whatever ne- you know, whatever necessitates it, whether it's the Rose Bowl game that that is very hell bent on sticking with January first, which which fine, that's maybe the last bastion of, of tradition we may have in what is a completely overhauled system of this sport. So uh, well, I think if there's money to be made, somebody's going to figure out a way to make this work in whatever structure they want to make it work in. And I think that's the bottom line. And I know that's the cynic in me uh, kind of pointing this out. But I, I do think that when there, there's this type of money exchanging hands and this type of money that's available to uh, schools, conferences, unfortunately not the players, but, uh, and, and, and bowl games, I think somebody's going to figure out a, made, a way to make it work. You know, the thing about the 14 playoff is uh, that was expanded from two to four because, you know, there might be three undefeated teams. There was with Auburn in 2004. There was again this year. So two's dicey. They're not always getting the right teams. They might leave the champion out. When it went to four, the thought, well, the champion is in. But, you know, you move the bag back at first to eliminate the close plays. Now there's an argument who four should be. Do you think this year there were just three teams that separated from other Bales by a mile and a half? Oklahoma got blown away by 35, but Georgia lost the SEC title game by 27. Maybe the only way to get a fourth team in there that could have competed with LSU in the semifinal would have been if Tangavaloa was healthy and they gave Alabama a second crack, and that would have gone over really well with the rest of the country. Should the playoff just stay at four just because the top teams are too good? You know, here's here's one thing that, that you have to take into consideration, and I think you're right, by the way. I think this year maybe it was just one of those years. Everybody who's a proponent for the four-team playoff is going to say, well, hey, look, it's perfect. Though. Who, who, there, there isn't really a clear-cut number four. I agree. I agree this year. And it's an easy argument and, a, and maybe the right argument to make for a four-team playoff. There were only three great teams in college football this season. But if you said – Starting in 2021, we're going to go to an eight-team playoff. It's going to be the structure that, that we just kind of discussed. You know, conference champions make it, and then there's, let's say, two wild cards. And let's, let's allot a spot for the group of five, which, by the way, I don't think will ever happen. 
uh, or, or won't happen until somebody says, yes, let's give those teams a piece of the pie. And again, there's money to be made out there, and nobody wants to give it up for anybody else. They want to keep it for themselves. It's fine. But let's say you were to a lot, a group of five slot, two wild cards for you know, a Notre Dame or you know, let's say a BYU if they have a great season or uh, another SEC team if they had a particularly good run. And then you have your five conference champions that are, that are in the playoff. Let's say it's an eight-team playoff. People are going to complain, like, well, I don't want to watch Memphis against LSU. I don't want to watch that game in Baton Rouge. Let's say the, you know, the top four seeds host the, host the first-round game. I don't want to watch that game. That's not going to be a good game. Fine. So be it, because the level of competition is significantly different. But what's going to happen in five years when you know, as a group of five team, let's say you're UCF and Scott or, uh, or uh, Josh Heupel, let's say that you're Memphis and Mike Norvell – didn't leave for Florida State. Why did he leave for Florida State? Because he's going to a Power 5 conference. Let's say there's a slot aligned for a group of five team to make the college football playoff. Don't you think that's going to change the structure of college football as we stand right now? Don't you think there are going to be a lot more high-quality players that would prefer to go to a place like a UCF or a Memphis or a Cincinnati because there's a group of five slot aligned for them rather than go to, let's say, a mid-level SEC team? that has an outside shot, let's say, and, and I feel bad calling Texas A&M a mid-level team, but let's just, for the sake of the argument, call them that. Wouldn't you rather go to UCF and play for a coach that is going to stay at UCF because he doesn't want to go to a mid-level ACC job and he'd rather be at UCF because there's a chance to play in the college football playoff? Don't you think that's another sales pitch and a selling point to keep the best kid in Florida in Orlando rather than having him travel to, let's say, Auburn, Alabama or College Station, Texas. Now in five years, maybe not even that long, maybe in three to four years, the entire structure of the sport has changed because you've given incentive for coaches and players to not always have to go to a place like Auburn, Texas A&M, Michigan, Penn State, uh, Michigan State. They're, they don't want to go to Washington State now or Washington because now they have a better shot to go to the playoffs playing at UCF or Cincinnati or Boise State. So you can change the entire structure of the sport and the perception of it and the talent balance that seems so diluted right now. You can balance the talent of coaching and athletes out if you give them incentive to do so. And I know they don't want to pay anybody. They don't want to give athletes money. Fine. Why don't you make it a little bit more equitable so that – People feel like they have some incentive. They have some skin in the game. And when you do that, that will drastically change the structure of of the sport, I think, as it stands right now. It does appear as far as tonight's game that we have the two best teams. I guess Ohio State can make a little bit of a claim, but certainly LSU belongs in there, and Clemson won the game, so they belong in there. With that in mind, do you think that the country's really getting behind this game? Even if we have a little Clemson fatigue, I think Orgeron and Barrels are new stories at LSU. So I know for me personally, I'm excited for the game. Listen, I think these are the two best, best teams playing right now. Um, and, and yeah, I certainly make a case for Ohio State, but I, I think Clemson's defense, which held one of the best offenses in the country in check to 23 points in Ohio State, they've only allowed 20 points one other time, uh, and that was against North Carolina earlier this year. Uh, and, and I know people are going to say, well, North Carolina. Uh, by the way, Sam Howell, their quarterback, true freshman, threw for 38 touchdown passes. Uh, he's a stud. He, that's a legit offensive team. So I think Clemson's 
Clemson's defense has has been a calling card for them. I know their offense has routed teams, uh, especially since that North Carolina game and the bye week that that, that followed. Uh, LSU has been the most dominant team. They proved that, and again uh, in the semi against Oklahoma, they've got the most lethal offense in college football, as far as I'm concerned. Obviously, a Heisman winner. I think we've got the matchup that we wanted. We wanted the two best quarterbacks. We wanted. I, I like the kind of quote unquote home field advantage. I know Dabo Sweeney doesn't love it. I just think it's fun. I think it's an added fun element uh, that we wouldn't have really considered otherwise. Uh, I think both defenses have studs. Grant Delpit at corner uh, or in the defensive backfield for LSU. Isaiah Simmons is probably the best defensive player on the field in this game for Clemson. Plays every position uh, on the defense. So I think this is kind of the matchup we wanted, right? We want a heavy blitzing Clemson team going up against maybe the best offensive line in the country. Joe Moore award-winning offensive line at LSU. We've got one of the better offensive lines in Clemson trying to give time to, to Trevor Lawrence, which they did really well for good chunks of time against Ohio State, allowed him to run, allowed him to be a little bit more explosive in the run game, uh, still look downfield and make good passes. I, I think this is the matchup we all wanted. I think it's the matchup we deserve to close out a really fun season. LSU wins this game unless Burroughs is flat on his back getting knocked down a million times. Can they get to him without blitzing? Because it seems like he's seen every blitz and he's beaten it all. Now, if four guys can get to him, then maybe that's different. What do you think? I don't think so. I, I and, and listen, it's, it, it comes down to execution, right? But Clemson is what it is because of its ability to blitz. Uh, they forced Ohio State into turnovers because they were willing to go exotic. Hey, I'm going to bring a corner in, fill the safety into the corner slot, or fill the linebacker into the corner slot and let him defend, and then move Isaiah Simmons from like a free safety position to the sideline and let him roam. And, and sure enough, it led to an interception. Clemson blitzes 39% of the time. That's ta- top 10 rate in uh, in college football, and they're very successful when they get to the, when, when they when they blitz. They're very efficient. They get to the quarterback. They're in a league where. You know, Pitt is in there. Pitt's a really good front. Only I think Pitt was the only team that had more sacks than Clemson in the ACC this year. Uh, I think LSU's given up something like 29, 30 sacks. But they, again, let, let's also know they're going up against some of the best defensive lines in college football. Uh, you know, when they're playing teams like Alabama, playing teams like Auburn, playing a Texas A&M, they're playing high-quality defensive lines. So giving up the 29, 30 sacks, I know people are going to say the metrics for a Clemson offensive line are a little bit better, but – Look, look what they did against Georgia. Seven, eight seconds for Joe Burrow to throw the football. They did the same thing against Oklahoma, which I know people will, will knock Oklahoma's defense, and maybe rightfully so, but they're giving time to Joe Burrow to try to dissect. And then he's got two of the best receivers in the country, and Chase and, and Jefferson, and you could throw Terrace Marshall in there as well, who was great against OU. I think Clemson needs to blitz because – LSU blocks really well without needing an extra tight end or a running back to help them out in blitz in blitz pickup. So I think personally, Clemson's going to have to bring an extra body. Where they come from, that's what Brent Venables is great at. It's exotic. It's not exotic. It's a base pressure. It's a, an exotic look. It's a twist with an extra linebacker coming in. Simmons is going to come in. He's got seven sacks this year. I, I think they need to bring extra bodies because LSU's offensive line is that good, but is Joe Burrow and is this offensive line going to be able to read it properly? If they do, Joe Burrow is going to have time. If they don't, Clemson's going to have a really good day defensively. On the megacast, the traditional broadcast is on ESPN. You're on ESPN2 calling it from the field. ESPNU, ESPN News will have other broadcasts that are different. Can you really see that well from the field? And more importantly, if you give up a little on what you can see, do you get to hear stuff when you're down on the field? 
Yes. Uh, yes to both things. It is a little harder to see. Uh, and, and again, we're, we've been lucky because these championship games are held in, you know, Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, uh, Superdome here, uh, Tampa, Florida. They've got the big jumbotrons. I'm working off a jumbotron a lot. We have a monitor in front of us as well on the field. We've got a great crew that, that's running with us. Our camera people, our, our, uh, our ops people, they're so they work their butts off. Uh, they're running three or four miles over the course of the game just like we are. But uh, we, use the, we use the tools that are at our display. And, again, like you said, you get this different feel by being down next to, you know, a, a coaching staff or a couple of players who are trying to cheer on their teammates, or you got analysts walking up and down the field, and you have that that kind of living in the moment type of uh, feel to the broadcast. And it's supposed to be different. We're not trying to be the most polished, perfect play-by-play analyst call. It's not about that. It's about giving people as best of a perspective as possible, and obviously working off the tools that are given us, you know, I've, I've gotten through three of these with, with little to no issue. Um, you know, like being able to call plays, being able to call pick sixes and touchdowns and, you know, Joe Tessitore calling the two, a tongue by Loa overtime pass against Georgia a couple of years ago, me calling a Nicole Hardman touchdown coming right at us in the Georgia end zone. Like that's the, that's what we're there for. We're there to give you a completely different feel. We're not trying to be the main broadcast, which by the way, feel free to not tweet at us and ask us why we're doing what we're doing because you can literally flip the channel one one notch over and find the traditional broadcast done done exceptionally well. So uh, uh, that's kind of how I would uh, would would synopsize what we're what we're here to do. Twitter is for angry people. They'll tweet at you anyway. They don't care. Don't hit them with logic. Exactly. They're not there for the logic. Thank you, Adam. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Adam Amin. ESPN play-by-play broadcaster. He'll be on ESPN2 tonight, part of the Megacast. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're right back with your feedback. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $359 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. PK, you got some positive feedback today, and you were pumped. I did, yeah. A P. Hun, Jessica Baker. No better way to end my weekend than watching PK Canan on Talking Sports. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's probably no better way to start your week, really. <laughs> uh, we had a lot of people tweeting us at us today. About the Jazz, they've won nine in a row. How good are they? That was the question of the morning. Jaden says, uh, lots of NBA fans are quick to point out how easy our schedule's been, but my logic tells me the bad teams can't have any easy stretches on their schedule. So, yeah, the Jazz are a good team. I didn't follow that first part, but I followed the second part. Well, if you're a bad team, you're not going to have an easy stretch. Okay, in the sunrises in the east. Yeah. And, you know, Basically, that's what he's saying. I guess Jaden is uh, missing a point jazz. where they're mediocre or slightly above average. Because jazz fans aren't signing up for mediocre and slightly above average. They want more. Well, they're getting it. They want very good. Kit tweets at me, do you think Mike Conley disrupts the chemistry of the team when he gets back? No. I think they will lose ball games because they're playing tougher teams, but I don't think it's because Conley is going to come in there and start thinking, man, I need to just get mine. No. No, no point in that. Plus, he comes back on a minutes restriction, and he's playing, depending on how many minutes they give him, five, six, seven minutes to open each half and ease him in. It'll be interesting to see what the rotation is. 
Because Moutier's earned his minutes. I think he'll start. I think he'll shave some minutes off some of the guys when they're playing these. The, the, night, the Knights have been playing big minutes and Domin having to go 37 minutes. We might see less of that. Good. 33 or 35 is a big night instead of 37 or 39. Yeah. I'd be surprised if Moutier completely vaporized. He shouldn't. I can see the minutes being trimmed back. But, you know, it's competition. Play well if you want minutes. So of course. coaches have to love that. What's that line? Didn't Majerus use it? Uh, yeah, that uh, I don't determine minutes. Players determine them. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tony and Austin up next.